There was no evidence that Governor, that Mr. Noriega was involved in drugs, no hard evidence until we indicted him. Does the NSA collect any type of data at all on millions or hundreds of millions of Americans? No, sir. It does not? Not wittingly. Have we ever tried to meddle in other countries' elections? Oh, probably, but it was for the good of the system. Oh, we don't mess around in other people's elections? Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Rackets Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sadie. This podcast focuses on the many definitions of the word racket. There's obviously a heavy focus on organized crime, such as, you know, the mafia and drug cartels. But this podcast also focuses on white-collar racketeers, such as corporate criminals, crony capitalists, and corrupt government officials, etc. And this particular episode is going to focus entirely on the resignation of Scott Pruitt, the former administrator of the EPA. And to begin, he wrote a, uh, a pretty interesting resignation letter. Obviously, it's addressed to Donald Trump. It was very clear that he felt that he was the victim in this scenario. And I'm just going to read a, a small snippet of that resignation letter. It is extremely difficult for me to see serving you in this role, first because I count it as a blessing to be serving you in any capacity, but also because of the transformative work that is occurring. However, the unrelenting attacks on me personally, my family, Mm -hmm. are unprecedented and have taken a sizable toll on all of us. So what I'm going to try to demonstrate in this podcast is that it was entirely with cause that he was pushed out of office. Again, he can try to present himself as a victim, but that was absolutely not the case. And to give you a good indicator of, you know, a little bit of his character and his career, I'd like to point you to um, a very good piece by the New York Times that's titled Scott Pruitt Before the EPA, Fancy Homes, a Shell Company, and Friends with Money. In this piece, it it gives very strong evidence of a quid pro quo relationship between him and a, and a telecom lobbyist. Um, again, it's not definitive proof, but it's it's pretty darn damaging. So just to kind of sum it up, back when he was a state senator in Oklahoma, he purchased a, a, a really fancy home from a telecom lobbyist right by the state capitol, literally walking distance from the state capitol. They didn't purchase the home in his own name. It was purchased under a shell corporation um, that was also owned by his business partner, Kenneth Wagner. Now, Wagner is now a senior advisor with the EPA. And the really suspicious part about this sale was the fact that it was purchased at roughly a $100,000 discount. And the thing is, Pruitt, he also voted on the side of that particular telecom company on a couple of key issues. So again, it's not definitive proof, but it, it it's very suspicious. So again, Pruitt, he moves up the ranks. He eventually becomes the Oklahoma Attorney General. And again, he's voted into office by people who consider themselves fiscal conservatives and people who strongly oppose overregulation. So he delivers on one of those promises. He is absolutely um, a very strong deregulator. 
but he's he's just horrible as far as the the expenses and the budgets that he has to work with. Um, his time as Oklahoma Attorney General, the budget increased by twenty seven million dollars higher than his predecessor. Um, but to get back to the idea of deregulation, I mean, there's really no other way to say it, but it's pretty clear that you could look at him as a puppet for big industry. Um, and during his time as the Attorney General, he actually sued the EPA several times, essentially working on behalf of these major companies. Um, and, and again, that, that's part of the crazy part. He is who is appointed to lead the EPA. Now, some people, you know, you can view it a number of ways. Most conservatives, they view that as a, as a good thing because, again, he, they view that a lot of the regulations by the EPA as onerous and, and overly burdensome. It's sort of it's part of that drain the swamp uh, mantra that got Trump elected into office. So just to recap, now that he's resigned, there's several investigations that were ongoing while he was in office, and they're going to continue. In fact, there are actually 13 different investigations being conducted by the Inspector General of the EPA. And again, the guy committed a number of ethical violations. Some of them are just bizarre. Some of them are selfish. Some of them are really severe. And I just kind of want to go through the different types of scenarios. And I'll start out with the, the more minor ones. Um, in one in one case, he had a staffer called the Trump International Hotel in D.C. to try to purchase a used mattress from the hotel. On other occasions, he forced his staffers to go purchase uh, his favorite type of lotion, which is apparently a rare type that they had to go to specific locations to get. They were supposed to pick up his dry cleaning, arrange personal travel for him and his family, um, even go house hunting for him. Again, in the business world, this is, uh, you know, most people consider that pretty normal. But again, for a government official, you're not allowed to use the staff for your personal errands. That, that's a very clear ethical violation. But to be fair, I imagine several government officials commit these types of violations. And that is, I think, in part how Pruitt can justify in his own mind that this belief that he was pushed out of office and persecuted by the media. Uh, but when you look at the full list of his ethical violations, it's, it's very clear that this was 100% justified. And it, it actually um, reminds me of an analogy um, that I heard from a college football analyst named Bud Elliott. And he's talking about, um, he's referring to the, he's referring to the, the bribes that many of the big college football programs pay to high school players so that they'll come to their program. It, it's kind of one of the open secrets of, of college sports. And all of the big programs do it to some degree. Um, so he gives the analogy of speeding on the highway. You know, most people speed on the highway. But there's a difference between doing 10 miles over the limit in the right lane or somebody who's flying down the highway going 110 miles an hour in the left lane. So as far as this metaphor is concerned, Pruitt was certainly going 110 miles an hour in the left lane. The first thing I would point to is a lot of the extravagant spending. It was very clear that he had this strong sense of entitlement with this position. And one of the examples involved spending over $2,700 on what they call tactical pants and tactical polos. I mean, 
I'm not exactly sure how tactical um, those those articles of clothing are. There was also $1,500 spent on 12 different fountain pens. He also um, had $43,000 allocated uh, to build a soundproof phone booth in his office. So again, it's not only wasteful and selfish, the Government Accountability Office concluded that this was actually illegal. He also um, was looking to get some really expensive furniture in his office, um, two desks, uh, one of them bulletproof for a grand total of $70,000. Kind of off the subject, I mentioned um, in a prior podcast about some similar scandals. Um, one of them involved Ben Carson. Another one involved a West Virginia Supreme Court justice. And that particular instance will probably land that Supreme Court justice in jail for a long time. And again, the outlandish spending, it, it does it's not just that. For one thing, he always insisted upon first-class flights. When he was pressed on the issue, um, some of the email correspondence shows that his justification was to avoid, quote-unquote, lashing out from other passengers. He also pushed for big pay increases for his top staffers. I mean, they were so high that the Trump administration actually refused to comply with those increases. And when Prue was confronted about this, he actually denied knowing about the raises. But according to one former staffer, Kevin Chemielski, again, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, that Pruitt absolutely lied about that, that this was all his decision. That same staffer was later fired because he refused to grant first-class travel expenses for some of Pruitt's aides. Those particular examples are just extravagant spending. There are several more um, ethics violations, but in these cases, it actually points to more of a, a quid pro quo relationship of a kind of open corruption. In one instance, he forced his staffers to track down some tickets uh, to a sold-out football game. So again, at first, that sounds like kind of a selfish decision, but the problem is that those tickets were given to him from an industry executive. Another instance, he had his staffers lobby the White House to get an internship for his daughter. So again, you're a public official. You're never allowed to use that for your own gain. In another instance, he had a meeting with an executive from Chick-fil-A, and Pruitt's goal from that meeting was to acquire a franchise for his wife. Another um, very interesting example, this one was reported pretty widely in the news, Pruitt, he had a, um, he was able to rent a room in D.C. for 50 bucks a night, you know, far below the market rate. And this was in the home of, a, of the wife of an influential oil lobbyist named Stephen Hart. And now Hart definitely lobbied him personally. Now, Pruitt denied that there was any sort of lobbying. He claimed that their meetings and their, their correspondence wasn't actually lobbying, but the email trail shows that Hart gave specific recommendations to him as far as how... So again, that, that is actual lobbying. And a, and a much bigger example has to do with a $100,000 trip to go to Morocco. This trip was arranged by a friend of his who's also a lobbyist. His name's Richard Smotkin. I believe that's pronounced correctly. Smotkin was actual, an actual liaison of sorts um, formed for the entire trip. Pruitt claimed that this was to 
negotiate a free trade agreement, but really um, he was there essentially promoting U.S. natural gas. And after that trip was over, Smotkin, he landed a $40,000 a month uh, lobbying contract for the Moroccan government. And now he's, he's now a registered foreign agent. Um, he had another similar trip. Um, it, it was a total of $120,000. This trip was to Italy. And again, you know, he tried to give a sort of a business pretense to the trip. But the majority of the time was spent on, you know, vacation type destinations. Um, for example, he got a, a private tour of the Vatican. Now, to be fair, Pruitt's predecessor at the EPA took a similar trip to Italy. That one was for $71,000. Again, corruption and wasteful spending is 100% a bipartisan issue. The, the real red flag with this trip is, again, that there's always these third parties who are involved, and the trip was arranged by Leonard Leo of the Federalist Society. So again, he's had several of these types of ethical violations that then go into sort of the the quid pro quo area there. Then there's even worse ethical violations. For one, there's actually a story that he reimbursed himself $65,000 from his campaign money when, when he was running for attorney general. Again, that's just come out recently. Um, again, that doesn't have to do with his time at the EPA, but that is a potential, there's potential criminal penalties associated with that. There are other potential criminal violations. Um, in particular, a CNN investigation pointed to the fact that Pruitt had a secret calendar, and the point was to hide potentially embarrassing meetings from the public. Generally, that had to do with meeting with lobbyists or industry leaders that actually is a, is a criminal offense. Um, you, you can't destroy a public record in that manner. And one of the, one of the people that he met with that, that the record was destroyed was uh, Cardinal George Pell. And if that name's familiar, um, he's a Vatican official who was recently accused of a number of um, sexual offenses. Pruitt also fired a senior scheduler on his staff who was hesitant about deleting these meetings from the schedule report. So all in all, Pruitt, he's gone. But again, there's basically a new fox guarding the hen house. Um, His name's Andrew Wheeler. He's a former coal industry lobbyist. So the good news is that, yes, with enough media attention and enough whistleblowers coming forward, a corrupt government official was pushed out of office. Um, My one concern is that essentially that the public and the media will sort of turn their mind off and and look the other way at any potential corruption at the EPA. And the thing is, a lot of the corruption is very systemic. It's not, again, it's not involving just one single person. Politico did a really excellent report, and it has to do with a a series of emails that were obtained by the Sierra Club via a uh, Freedom of Information Act lawsuit. And What the emails show is that a lobbyist for the oil industry contacted um, the Utah governor, Gary Herbert, to to lobby about different air quality regulations. Then in turn, Herbert uses basically the exact same talking points and then pushes that information officially to Pruitt while he was the head of the EPA. 
So again, there's there's really just this cycle of numerous government officials who are essentially just working as conduits for big industry. One thing I do want to bring up and a lot of people ask is, you know, how was Pruitt able to stay around so long? I mean, every other day there was another story about a different scandal. Really, one of the biggest things is that Pruitt was loyal to Donald Trump. And in fact, there was actually one point where he specifically uh, approached Trump, asking to be the attorney general when, you know, when there were a lot of stories about how Trump was openly pretty upset with Jeff Sessions. At the end of the day, a lot of what protected him was just basic partisan politics. Um, Again, as I mentioned earlier, you know, there's corruption with both major parties. And at at the end of the day, they do generally look look after each other. But we've got midterm elections coming up, and sort of the stain of this really scandal-ridden EPA would really hurt the Republican brand. So ultimately, he was pushed out. But one of the things that really kept him around for a long time with the conservative base is that, again, he, he was a strong proponent of deregulating the industry. It's really tough to comment on every decision that he made, but I would like to point out one of the decisions that he made on his last day in office. Um, he essentially he gave a loophole to a, a trucking company called Fitzgerald Glider Kits. Previously, there was a cap on the production of a specific type of diesel engine that uses recycled parts. Since they're using recycled parts, those trucks produce roughly 55 times the level of air pollution as an up-to-date, a truck with an up-to-date engine. Um, And the rule was that there was a cap of 300 of those types of trucks produced every year. But Pruitt, he removed that rule completely, um, and as of now... That'll stay in place until the end of 2019. And the one thing I do want to point out, um, again, a lot of, you know, a lot of conservatives, they, they strongly support any type of deregulation. But in some cases, these, these deregulation decisions are kind, of, kind of have a crony capitalist feel. And what I'm pointing to is the fact that UPS and Volvo were really the biggest opponents of that decision. And their point is, is that they've had to spend a tremendous amount of money in order to invest in the infrastructure to develop their vehicles to be compliant with the Clean Air Act. And then by throwing that out and giving the loophole for this one company, um, essentially giving an unfair advantage in the marketplace. That's something to chew over as well. Um, But again, I just I do want to point out that corruption is a bipartisan issue. And since this was a, you know, a single issue uh, podcast, I'm, I'm going to wrap it up around here. Uh, stay tuned. I've got some really interesting guests coming up on the next couple episodes. Uh, so subscribe. Um, if you enjoy this podcast, I, I would really appreciate it if you give it a five-star rating and share it with your friends. Obviously, I've got these different stories linked in the show notes on my website. There's also a ton of other news on that site as well. But yeah, if you want to support the podcast, really the best way to do that is to go out and grab a copy of my three book series, Rackets. It's on the legalization of drugs and gambling and the decriminalization of prostitution. And again, I'd just like to thank everybody for listening and have a great day. It's a big club and you ain't in it. I am concerned that the size of some of these institutions 
becomes so large that it does become difficult for us to um, to prosecute. You can have a license. Price is two hundred and fifty thousand dollars plus a monthly payment of five percent of the gross of all four hotels, Mr. Corleone.